Well, I'll tell you what, we've got a great guest today, and you're going to love this guy. Uh, Nate Kane is our guest today, and Nate is running for Congress in West Virginia, but he is also one of the original FBI whistleblowers, and he has uh, uh, been in, in the military and as a defense contractor for many years, and he is one guy that knows where the bodies are buried. And I'll tell you what, he is an excellent, excellent guest. And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Where the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless well, good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dad Happel. And as I said a little earlier, the folks that are just joining us, our guest today is Nate Kane. Nate is uh, running for Congress in West Virginia. And I'm telling you, this gentleman is absolutely brilliant. You are going to love this conversation. Uh, Nate is a U.S. Army veteran. Uh, he's worked in cybersecurity as a defense contractor for a very long time, 26 years. Uh, he's worked in this because he knew that there were a lot of things going on. And in the process, he uncovered things that were going on within our own government and exposed a lot of those things. And uh, today, Nate is going to be talking about some of his experiences as an FBI whistleblower, and also why with a good friend of mine over the weekend, uh, Matthew uh, uh, Rosendale is our congressman from uh, the eastern part of the state of Montana. And I've known, I've known Matt for a long time. I also, and quite good friends with Harriet Hageman. And I'm going to try to arrange to get both of them on with you on a, uh, maybe on one of my Tuesday afternoon programs and see if we can uh, get, get you uh, kind of a great, I guess what I would call it a great pre-recorded program that will help you in your uh, run for the West Virginia Congress. Uh, see if we can get that pulled off. It may be, you know, it's like herding cats when you're talking politicians, <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll see how that all goes. Anyway, Nate, welcome to the program. What you're doing, and I incidentally, I saw that uh, John B. 
uh, got you on the Caravan to Midnight mm-hmm. program. I had given your name to uh, Mary Fanning and your contact information, and I was hoping that uh, they would get you on Caravan to Midnight. I saw that you did that just Saturday night, so uh, things are starting to gel. Maybe we can uh, maybe we can get you elected to Congress if there's enough of us out there. Uh, doing the kind of stuff that uh, you need to happen to make your life a little bit easier because they are going after you. There's no question about it. Oh, yeah. And, and the establishment hates your guts because you are one of these guys. You're, you're like Matt Rosendale. You're one of these guys that uh, doesn't go with the flow. You're not a neocon goofball. You're actually a, a legitimate uh, constitutional conservative, and they hate your guts for that. So, <laughs> Nate, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, you're right about that. Um, I'm definitely not part of their system, and uh, you know, I'm I'm an outsider. Uh, I kind of look at my campaign as uh, kind of similar in the way that uh, Donald Trump kind of came out of nowhere, you know, uh, in 2016, and all of the pollsters uh, they all got it wrong. They all thought that the uh, you know, that his, uh, that he was going to lose. And, uh, and yet there was a massive underground movement of people that, you know, were supporting him. And what I found is that as I've gone out and talked to people in West Virginia, uh, overwhelmingly people are tired of, you know, the same, you know, getting the same results from picking the same types of people. Uh, they realize there's a political establishment and that political establishment uh, does not have their interests at heart. And, uh, and that's uh, one of the, the clearest ways that that is, is that I'm actually one by the political establishment. Uh, he's nowhere to be found. He shows up to a few, uh, you know, uh, dinners in some of the more uh, wealthier parts of, of West Virginia, and you just don't see him out there actually talking to the people and listening to them. And then when you look and see where, uh, you know, where he's uh, drawing his, his uh, you know, his money from for his campaign, it's coming from PACs, it's coming from you know, these wealthy donors that are tied to uh, special interest groups. And uh, whereas, you know, that is not at all how my campaign's running. Every dime I've brought in has come in from individual donors that actually believe in the message, you know, that I'm selling. And, and what I'm selling is the truth. And I think that that's what people see. And I think that's why I'm going to win. Uh, but, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, this is a battle. Uh, you know, that's a spiritual one, just as much as it's a physical one. There's certainly my part that I have to do and, you know, and getting in there and, and fighting the good fight. But at the end of the day, uh, it's ultimately God's hand, I think, that will, you know, direct this thing and uh, hopefully uh, have me in there to be able to do some good. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what, uh, based on everything that I've heard from you before and know about you, uh, you're the real deal. And that is, in this day and age, that's a rare commodity, mm-hmm. but the, the people are waiting. I mean, everybody is looking for an answer, and they're looking for good candidates. And it's the first time in my lifetime, I can say the last two years, where I think we've got an awful lot more awake people than we have woke people. And yeah. all I can say is that uh, people are starting to understand just exactly how dire the situation is. I mean, we literally are sliding into one world uh, Marxist technocratic government. We know that because uh, guys like China, Joe Biden are literally selling the farm 
and they don't even try to hide it anymore. And I, I, I'm sure you saw the newsletter I put out and announcing this program, but I put on there, it's the Center for Media and Democracy. And in Montana, we call those green decoys. Uh, they use these great names to sound like they're the most patriotic thing in the world. And then right underneath of it, and I'm going to read it for our audience, the people that don't get my newsletter, uh, and uh, they show the uh, fences around the Capitol and all this stuff, and it says exposed, the insurrection exposed. And this came out of this uh, so-called center for media and democracy. And uh, underneath it, it had a caption there. It says, the January 6th attack on the Capitol was just the beginning. The failed insurrection that day has grown into a movement to subvert free and fair elections that now poses an even greater threat to the very survival of American democracy. When I hear these assholes talk about American democracy, all I can think is their idea of American democracy is communism. Absolutely. Because that's exactly what democracy is. It's mob rule. It's that's communism. Right. There's yeah. a reason why they call it the Democratic People's Republic, right? You know, it's because there's nothing there's nothing democratic about it, but they do like to use those words. You know, they like to, uh, you know, they like to say, just like they said, the, uh, uh, what was it, the Inflation Reduction Act or the Protection yeah. of Marriage Act, you know, none of this, it's exact opposite. They use uh, words like, you know, like a masterfully uh, in propaganda. You know, the fact is American people have got to wake up and they have to not just, you know, it's not enough to just realize what's going on. And and this is where I think that, you know, the the danger is in in just doing things on our own. We can't do what has been done in the past, uh, you know, in the recent past, where we try to fight this war on our own and we try to make change on our own. We absolutely must be willing to sacrifice and be willing to put the hard work in and do the things that are necessary. But one thing that I believe the Lord has been showing me all along is that uh, this is not going to be won by, you know, by the hands of men. Uh, this is a spiritual battle that we're fighting and we need God's help. Our founders understood that, you know, they laid out very clearly in many of the writings that they wrote about, about this concept of providence, the concept that we as a nation would not succeed without morality and without God. And so, you know, I, I am a firm believer in the MAGA, you know, ideal, uh, but I think that before it's make America great again, it's make America godly again. And so that is really, you know, uh, one of the focus uh, you know, that I have in, in this whole thing is to try to be an example. And that's a hard thing to do because, you know, that, that temptation, you know, uh, to try to do it on your own and to fight that fight and uh, to allow the flesh to get in there, uh, that is a, a, absolutely a common thing. And, uh, I don't care how, uh, you know, how close you are with God. The fact is, is that, uh, that temptation is there to try to do it on your own, but we have to remember, we need God's help. We need to, you know, humble ourselves and pray and ask for his help to save our nation. And then when God says, I want you to go, then we need to go. And that's why I'm running for office. I, I'm not running because I wanted to do this or because I had any plans of doing this. In fact, uh, this is probably the last thing on earth that I wanted to do. I've got a great life. I have my own business. It's been quite successful. Um, I finally have, you know, some level of stability of income and, and uh, you know, enjoyed, uh, you know, living here in West Virginia. 
and uh, finally got my anonymity back. And then, uh, you know, I was praying in November and I was asking the Lord to raise up righteous men and women, you know, for office. And I felt the Lord say, what about you? So obviously I didn't learn from my time in the army where they say, never bring up anything you don't want to be voluntold to do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've been out there campaigning and, and actually when I first started, it was more of, I was kind of a, a reluctant, uh, um, you know, candidate, uh, you know, more or less doing what I felt the Lord had called me to do, but not really, um, excited about the prospect of it. And there's still part of me that feels, you know, apprehensive about a lot of this, but what has happened is as I've gone around and actually met the people and talked with them and listened to their stories and heard about, you know, what's been going on and, and quite honestly, um, have realized that, you know, they have been kind of left behind. A lot of the people of West Virginia feel like, they're not truly represented. They feel like uh, that, you know, their, their, their quote unquote representatives don't, uh, don't represent them. They don't listen to them. Um, they don't reach out to them and talk to them and find out what's going on. They just kind of see it as like, you know, the wheels of government keep turning, uh, but it's not really concerned about the interests of the people of West Virginia. And I would say that that is probably true, not just here, but also in many other places in the United States where you have uh, representatives that are, funded by special interests and funded by lobbyists and, uh, you know, where you have corporations and, uh, you know, these special interest groups that basically are the ones that are uh, directing policy uh, because now these people who have, you know, come into office are, are now, you know, under the gun and they have, uh, uh, they have a bunch of favors uh, that they have to pay back that they, uh, you know, were, were, you know, basically they become owned and um, because I'm not that kind of person that will allow myself to be owned, uh, what you said at the very beginning of this is that they hate my guts and that they see me as a direct existential threat to them. Uh, that is true. Uh, they see me as a threat because uh, I will not be their yes man. And uh, I'll, I'll be straight up honest with you. I, I don't care if it's the Republican Party, uh, who I am a supporter of, and I am a registered Republican, but I will not even bend to the will of you know, of what party leadership says. Um, I believe that ultimately I've got to do what I believe is in my, in my conscience of what I believe God has told me to do. And first and foremost, that is representing the people of West Virginia and also obeying and following the oath that I swore already three times in my life in which I will swear again, uh, when elected to Congress. And that is to support and defend the constitution of the United States against all enemies foreign and domestic. And we too often think only of the foreign enemies in that statement. And we forget that we do have domestic enemies that would prefer to shred the constitution of the United States and uh, to enact, uh, you know, their, their author authoritarianism uh, to, to basically uh, deprive us of our rights, our God-given rights. And, uh, but, you know, they forget that the whole point and purpose of why governments are instituted is to protect those rights. And so when the government becomes the enemy of our God-given rights, it's time to abolish that government and it's time to replace those people uh, with people who will respect and honor the promises that they've made and that, uh, you know, that oath that they took. Yeah. Uh, Nate, as a matter of fact, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very aware and very familiar with the situation you're talking about. As a matter of fact, we had our uh, Republican uh, County Central Committee uh, monthly meeting over at my house last night. Uh, 
And uh, we were talking about this. Is it time to just uh, throw the Republican Party out and form a new party? And I mean, that is a thought. And I, I have to say, I've got some excellent friends uh, that are uh, constitutionalists and libertarians and things like that. I don't think we can afford to completely abandon the Republican mm -hmm. Party right now because I think that uh, compared to the Democrat Party, there's still a little bit of hope. That's but, right. But uh, the, the, the truth of it is, the establishment Republican Party, uh, you could call it, and uh, we call them neocons, we call them a lot of things, but I call them uh, the uh, uh, American Fascist Party, in truth, because they believe in uh, socialism, but they, they also believe enough in free enterprise that they will allow the two to coexist together. And right. uh, the Democrats are full-blown communists anymore. There's very few of them that are even worth talking to. But uh, the, the bottom line is they're both socialists. It's just their, their view of socialism. <clears throat> and it's time that we bring, uh, and I use this term, and I mean it's the best way I can say it, it's time we bring the Republican Party back to Jesus. It's time that we uh, force them to be the party that they claim to be. Because right now, the establishment neocon Republican Party, in my mind, is every bit as dangerous as the communist Democratic Party. And uh, it, it's time that we hold them accountable, and I think we can do it. Because the one thing about a communist is dedicated to uh, control, they're dedicated to their program. Their control, they the communists do not understand compromise. All they understand is winning. The problem with the Republican Party right now is it's full of gutless wimps. Uh, it's like Teddy Roosevelt said. Uh, he, he was talking about congressmen in general. Uh, the comment he said was, uh, uh, "I've seen finer men's backbones carved out of bananas." And I, I think that's true of a lot of the Republican establishment. It's time that we get more people like you, like Matt Rosendale, like Harriet Hageman. Yeah. We need people there that understand what their oath of office really is. And uh, God bless you, my friend. As ex-military, I, I swore that oath, too. I was Army. Uh, I, I swore that oath, too. And I will carry that oath with me to the grave. And when I swore in as a county commissioner in Montana, uh, I, I, I said, good, I get to take it again because I'm as dedicated today to that as I, as I was then. That's the way we need to get people back in office. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, there is something that is happening, though, and, and you're right. Uh, I think this last election, uh, there was a gentleman uh, who is, uh, he is a minister that uh, has an organization that they uh, they do, uh, they basically minister to the family members of Congress. And, you know, and I had a, a very, you know, candid conversation with him and he had said, and I asked him, I said, you know, are things getting better or getting worse when it comes to godliness with our members of Congress? He said to me, he said, this last, um, set of congressmen and women that came in, he says, there's a number of them that are spirit filled believers 
And uh, they're doing things like, you know, when one goes into session to go, uh, you know, debate on a bill in his committee, that others will go in and intercede and pray in the back. And that's the kind of thing that we need happening again. We need, uh, you know, people who believe in God, people who actually seek him, you know, in the decisions that they're making for the rest of us. And I think, um, you know, that is what's going to turn our country around. You're right, though, that there is a problem. There is a rot within the Republican Party. And I don't see it as so much a problem with the. Uh, yeah, there are some bad apples within the, the Republican Party itself. But I think the majority of Republicans uh, are actually they do mean well and they want, you know, they want good things for the country. But the problem is, is they bought into the old way of doing things, the old system, and they're afraid to let go of it. They are afraid to let go of the money and the power that comes with special interest groups and lobbyists and all of that. One of the things that I've made a determination to do right off the bat is that uh, I will meet with anybody that wants to meet with me as a congressman, uh, uh, you know, because there may be things that, that have to do with the uh, you know, the interests of the people of West Virginia in my district. However, one of the things I've made clear, and I put this on my website so I can be held accountable, is that uh, any meeting that I have with a lobbyist, it will they will have to be uh, willing to be recorded, and that recording will be made public immediately. And, uh, and I realize that that is going to cut off a lot of uh, funding and a lot of support uh, from these outside groups. Uh, but I don't care uh, because if I can't win this race honestly by the votes of the people and because they they because of their belief that I will serve their interests, uh, then I don't want to win. And I think there are too many people who they they don't understand that and they can't accept that. And I know there's been times where I've uh, I, I had a, a sat down on the front steps of my home and I was just spending some time in prayer. And this was about a month ago. And I was just talking to God and asking Lord, you know, Lord, you asked me to get into this. So, uh, you know, how, how can I do that without uh, your help? And, and I, you know, and it, cause that temptation is there to want to reach out and try to strive and try to do things the way that the world does. But I keep getting this message from the Lord saying, don't strive. And so I said, okay, God, I'm not going to strive, uh, but I need your help. And what I felt like the Lord was saying to me is that, look, uh, Nate, you can do this on your own strength. And if you do so, uh, I'm going to take a hands-off approach and let you just do it on your own. Uh, or you can do it by not striving and allowing me uh, to, you know, to basically, you know, bring about the miraculous. And if you do, you will see great things happen and it will honor me. And I think that's really the key. So there is this um, lack of faith, if you will. Uh, I think that people have in, in providence and God, uh, I think they, they seek to, uh, maintain power. They seek to, uh, you know, raise a war chest of money. I mean, that's really what McCarthy was all about, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you look at McCarthy and, and he has a massive amount of special interest groups that, you know, donate to his campaign. I think he's the largest, uh, out of all of the Republicans, he had the most donations going to him than any other, uh, member of Congress. And, uh, you know, and that is the old way of doing things. Um, you know, that was brought about, I think, uh, by Newt Gingrich, you know, this system where you get your committee assignments based on the amount of money and donor money that you bring in. Well, the problem is, is that uh, that invites a whole hell of a lot of corruption into the Republican Party. It is why, and quite honestly, it's the same problem at the state level, too. So at the state level here in West Virginia, 
you know, we still have this mentality that goes back to our previous Democrat days when we were, you know, uh, a, a J.D. Rockefeller state and, you know, falling into the, uh, you know, the mentality of the, the Democrats of, you know, seeking those handouts from the federal government. Well, the problem is, is those handouts come with, you know, special requirements. And one of those requirements is that we have to basically, uh, you know, instrument their policies and, and force those on the people of West Virginia, uh, which may not be in the best interests of West Virginians. I mean, we're a religious people here. Uh, we're conservative. We're family values uh, based culture. And yet uh, we've introduced some terrible things into our schools because one third of our budget comes from the federal government. Uh, we are a state that has an amazing amount of wealth in terms of, uh, you know, the hydrocarbons. So natural gas, uh, coal, uh, oil. We have amazing amount of natural resources, and yet, instead of building more power plants, uh, you know that are based on uh, those things, we're shutting down coal-fired power plants, and we're doing things like, uh, you know, giving two hundred and ninety million dollars of the taxpayers' money to build a a battery factory up in uh, uh, Weirton that is, you know, you know, basically full of ESG and full of uh, climate change activists and all of that, and so you've got guys like, uh, you know. Bill Gates, George Soros, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Tom Strayer, they're all involved in investing in this. BlackRock's involved in it. Uh, you've got, um, I think, the board of directors for Form Energy, which is the company that, that received all this money from our state. Uh, the, the, the chairman of the board of directors is uh, Chelsea Clinton's husband. So, I mean, you can't get any more swampy than that. And, uh, you know, but there's all kinds of just corruption and it all is surrounded and centered around money. And so, you know, where they talk about, you know, money is the root of a lot of evil. That is very true. And so I think that uh, that is one of the biggest problems that we have right now in the, the you know, in our uh, Republican Party is that uh, we are doing things uh, no different, you know, quite frankly, than the Democrats when it comes to, uh, you know, what drives you know, our, uh, uh, who we elect and who we bring in, who gets selected by the party and, you know, where the support and the money goes to and, and all of that. But, um, it doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't, but it means that the people have to wake up and they've got to do the research and they need to actually uh, show up at the polls in those primaries, because right now it's a very small amount of, uh, elected people who show up in the primaries. Are various, uh, those who can vote in elections, very few of them actually show up. I think 80% of the people uh, who show up, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, no, 80% of the people who show up in primaries in West Virginia are over age 55. Now think about that. The people most likely to be impacted by the policy decisions and economic decisions being made uh, are the working people, you know, the ones that are paying the bulk of the taxes. And yet they're not showing up to the primaries to ensure uh, that the people that are getting elected are people that are going to look after their interests. And that is a huge interest. I think the middle class in America is being uh, destroyed by both the left and the right. It's being destroyed by the left because they're just flat out communists and they see the middle class as the, the bourgeoisie. Uh, you know, but the fact is, is that the right is doing it too through corporate welfare uh, by propping up these massive, uh, you know, multinational corporations which don't give a you know a rat's ass, quite frankly, about America. Uh, they have no loyalty to America, but they are propping up those corporations, uh, the drug companies, you know, the big box, uh, you know, companies, and they do nothing to help the middle class. In fact, uh, taxes 
you know, are, are ridiculously high, you know, for, uh, for small businesses. Uh, I know because I am a small business owner and I have to deal with that myself. You know, it's, it's impossible to be able to get, you know, a decent, uh, uh, insurance policy. Uh, if you're a small company, you're going to pay through the nose uh, to cover your employees. There's a lot of problems and, uh, you know, that are, are disadvantageous to small business. And that causes people to basically say, you know what, rather than starting a business, I'm just going to go be, you know, a surf and go work for one of these, uh, you know, these Lords, you know, I use those terms intentionally because that's really what it is. It's, uh, uh, like you were saying, it's fascism. It's a kind of a neo-fascism that we're seeing in America today with this mix of the corporation and the government, you know, working together, uh, whether that is working together to, you know, give them a sweetheart deal. And then in return, uh, they pay for, uh, you know, they basically don't donate to their campaigns or whether it is the, you know, the police state in our country utilizing, uh, you know, the banks utilizing, uh, the social media companies and all that to spy on the American people. And that is going on too. And, uh, that's something that needs to go away. We need to, we need to get rid, get rid of that kind of thing. I remember it was Benjamin Franklin. I think that says, uh, he that would give up a little bit of, uh, uh, or he that would give up a little bit of Liberty for security. Yeah. I think that's it uh, deserves neither. Right. And, and that is something that we have to get back to. We got to realize we can't let these guys, you know, take away our liberty at all. We need to fight, uh, you know, for every every bit of liberty that we have to maintain it. And quite frankly, uh, now we're kind of behind and we need to take back some of our liberty that has been taken away by the government. Yeah, you're spot on, Nate. Well, um, this is a, a good point. I, I The reason that you were a special man and a special candidate is because of your background. And uh, we've got plenty of time to do this. And so I really want you to talk about all the things that you were involved in through the military, through uh, the being a defense uh, specialist in cybersecurity and all this, and then how you were involved in uh, trying to pull the, the uh, corruption out of the 2020 election. So this is a great background. This is a great place for you to be able to talk about why you have the, the wonderful perspective that you have and why your credentials are so important for you to be able to serve people in Congress. So I guess what I'll start with is, you know, kind of talking a little bit about my background in uh, my career. Um, it, it kind of everything of what you were just talking about kind of centers around that. So I've been in cybersecurity for 26 years. I was a, a U.S. Army soldier and uh, was uh, stationed in Korea. And I had an unaccompanied tour over there. And originally I was working as a, um, a guy who was a, what we call the 74 Gulf, which was uh, – telecommunications computer operator maintainer and was trained how to work on the top secret messaging switch. And, uh, that machine got, uh, decommissioned while I was in Korea. And so I got told, Hey, uh, you can either go back to school or you can, you know, retrain on, on some other equipment, you know, OJT on the job training. So I said, well, uh, what do you got? And so they, uh, I got into uh, cybersecurity uh, as it was something that was brand new, they called it information assurance back then, but I started working on, uh, you know, the information security and cybersecurity and networks and, uh, making sure that our communications were secure. 
uh, it was a great field to get in. I got out of the army, continued doing that, uh, as a, uh, as a DOD civilian. Uh, I started off actually as a contractor with DISA defense information systems agency. Uh, then I went to work for, uh, the U S Navy and got hired as a, um, as a government employee, as a civil servant, uh, went to Japan, spent three years there with my family working on, uh, cybersecurity. And then, uh, we went to Hawaii and then event, and that was also a, a Navy civilian. And then eventually, uh, we moved to Maryland in Maryland. Um, I got hired with, uh, Marine forces, cyber command, and, uh, I ended up getting hired as a, uh, a Marine civilian, uh, to join what was called a cyber protection team. And that's really where I got into some very deep level training with NSA, uh, where they trained me to, uh, you know, to basically be able to hack systems and, uh, you know, and, and because you got to understand how the enemy gets in, but also when you go to remove the enemy out of your network, you've got to also obfuscate, uh, yourself when you're in the network. So they don't start destroying things or, or deleting, you know, their records, you got to go in so that they can't see that you're in there and then you isolate them. And so I was put on uh, what they call a DCI hunt black team. And our job was to go after hackers that were hacking our national critical infrastructure. And so I learned a lot, you know, during that time with them. And it was while I was with them, um, you know, after I finished my schooling and everything, I think I did like one mission and then I got offered, uh, you know, a, an offer I couldn't refuse. I got offered twice my salary to go work for the FBI. And, uh, and a lot of that was because of my training and my background. And that was a proud day when I, you know, when I went down to the FBI and passed my interview and then I went and did my fingerprints and I'll never forget my first day there. It was, I was very excited you know, I felt like I had just uh, joined one of the most premier law enforcement agencies in the world. And uh, little did I know of the of the corruption and rot that was in the FBI. But I discovered it while I was there. And uh, unfortunately, I ended up uncovering a plot by senior leadership at the FBI uh, to cover up the crimes that had been committed and that the FBI had the evidence for uh, by Hillary Clinton and, uh, you know, uh, her her foundation and people associated with their foundation. And a lot of that was also related to uh, Uranium One. And uh, so when at first, when I had heard that this was going on and I looked into it and I saw that there was evidence and there were case files and they had uh, three separate field offices that were investigating Hillary Clinton and they had evidence that had uh, already been reviewed and had a high probability of, of four major crimes. Uh, it was money laundering, public corruption, securities and exchange fraud, and terrorism financing. And I thought for sure they were teeing things up to indict her. But uh, everybody will remember that day that Comey came out and uh, in front of the uh, in front of the FBI headquarters building, the J. Edgar Hoover building, uh, he held a press conference in where he stated, basically laid out a litany of of. Uh, you know, crimes that Hillary Clinton had committed in regards to mishandling classified information. And this was related to the email server. But then he went on to say, but no reasonable prosecutor would bring a case against Hillary Clinton for that. And that was when I first realized, oh my gosh, the rumors that they're going to cover this up are true. And so I had a decision to make. And, uh, and that decision was to blow the whistle. It was not one that I took lightly. It wasn't an easy one, but again, I've sworn the oath. Uh, and I believe that um, 
you know, in, in James uh, four seventeen, it says that, uh, uh, it is a sin, uh, for those who know what they ought to do and do not do it, uh, know the good they ought to do and do not do it. So it's not just a matter of not being a bad person, but it's also a matter of not being a weak person and being afraid to do the right thing when we are faced with an opportunity where we can do the right thing. And so I had to make that tough decision. I remember going home and talking to my wife and telling her, uh, you know, I think I'm going to have to blow the whistle on the FBI. And her response was, why does it have to be you? And my response to that was, well, if not me, then who, who's going to do it, Mel, who's going to stand up for what's right. And she said, well, you do realize this will change everything. This is going to change our lives. It's going to affect your career. It's going to affect, you know, your family. And I told her, I said, look, um, I understand what you're saying, but I also know that God may have put me in this position for just that time like this to do the right thing. And she said, well, if you believe God's calling you to do this, then I'll support you hundred percent. And that was the ultimately, uh, you know, what, what gave me the courage, I guess you could say to, to stand up and do the right thing. And, um, I made two disclosures. I brought classified documents outside of the, um, FBI and, and brought them to the house, uh, permanent select committee on intelligence, um, chairman, uh, Devin Nunez. I brought it to his, uh, senior, uh, one of his senior staffers who was authorized to, you know, to take classified information. And then he asked me if I would go back in and if I would get uh, more information, uh, specifically an intelligence report that showed the FBI knew uh, all about uh, uh, Rosatom, uh, Russian energy company's attempts at infiltrating our uranium supply chain prior to the agreement that CFIUS uh, agreed to, to allow Rosatom to purchase uh, uranium one, which gave the Russians uh, control over 20% of our uranium supply chain. And, uh, and I found that document and I brought that out. And then I ended up having to go through a long, um, you know, series of, of working through a lawyer to get protected under the intelligence community whistleblower protection act and to bring those documents, uh, along with the original documents to the DOJ IG. It was a difficult thing. And ultimately, uh, you know, no one paid, uh, you know, a price for their treason against our country. Uh, the only person that paid a price was the person who did the right thing, which was me. Uh, I eventually had my home raided by 16 agents. Uh, they, um, interrogated me for nine hours. Uh, uh, one of the agents uh, went after, uh, you know, basically went on his own personal mission to try to destroy my character in my neighborhood and in my, amongst the, you know, the people in our community. And, um, you know, and I ended up getting fired from my job at the VA because I had left the FBI after I blew the whistle. And, uh, and I ended up having to start over. And it was a very difficult time and a lot of questions to me asking God, you know, why, Lord, would you bring me through all this for nothing good to come of it? But sometimes we only see in the moment, you know, what is going on in our lives and we don't understand the bigger picture. And now I do understand that part of that bigger picture uh, was about, uh, you know, kind of forcing me out into the light and forcing me to go public on a lot of this stuff and talk about it and bring it, you know, to the, uh, you know, to the ears and eyes of the American people so they can understand just how corrupt our system of justice is because it is not a system of justice. It is a system of injustice and it's oftentimes used and it's been weaponized uh, and been used against conservatives, against Christians, against patriots, 
Uh, all one has to do is look what happened January 6th and look at these people that have been suffering down there under conditions that, quite frankly, um, we wouldn't even allow, you know, in a time of war for our enemies, our, you know, combatants that we catch. Uh, because, uh, you know, at least with the uh, Geneva Convention, uh, we have to provide uh, religious services. These guys down in Washington, D.C., for almost three years now have been denied religious services. It's disgusting what is going on. Our founders would be rolling in their graves right now uh, at the knowledge of what is happening in our country. And um, and so I intend on fighting against that sort of, uh, you know, um, disrespect of our Constitution uh, I want to see, and I'm going to be praying and asking God for for justice against those who have committed uh, injustice and who have deprived people of their rights. Uh, I want to see a uh, a congressional uh, Article One tribunal formed uh, by the Congress and uh, judges uh, appointed uh, by the Congress under that, uh, so that we can adjudicate these issues of deprivation of rights under color of law. And I would like to see every prosecutor, every judge, every uh, you know uh, FBI director, and people that have been involved in the decision making uh, to you know deprive people of their rights, whether it is the January Sixers being deprived of due process, or whether it is uh, you know the American people who have been uh, deprived of their Fourth Amendment rights, uh, being being spied on illegally, or having their voices stifled by the FBI paying nine million dollars, uh, you know. Uh, you know, to to the um, Twitter in order to silence their voice. There's a whole lot of areas where the government has been abusing their power. And anybody involved in that, quite frankly, needs to go to prison. So that is one of my top priorities. Well, I think that's a, a excellent, uh, excellent priority list. But um, Nate, I want to, I guess I want to get into the discussion of the uh, 2020 election, because that was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And you were asked by the Trump administration to come back as an advisor uh, on some of that election fraud. Now, you've got, uh, you're running for office. We don't have an open and fair election system now nationwide. We've got a lot of problems built into the system. We've had actually experts come on here that wrote some of the software uh, talking about how easy it is to hack into the system, uh, how easily it can be uh, destroyed. Uh, Mary Fanning, who I think you had a chance to meet with Mary a little bit, uh, she, boy, she's got so much background on the stuff you're talking about. Hammer and Scorecard, uh, Port Canaveral, all the Rosicom, uh, Uranium One. And incidentally, Uranium One, a lot of people don't uh, make this connection. Uranium One was uh, the location that they were trying to give to the uh, Roscom group was in the Malheur Wildlife Refuge area in Idaho and uh, Oregon, where uh, the the whole thing with the Bundys and uh, the Mm -hmm. Hammonds, that was going on at the same time. That was part of that area. That was one reason they went after them so bad. There's so much here. I mean, if if we start uncovering the level of corruption, it's unbelievable. But I want you to talk about uh, the 2020 sure. election specifically and how they've been rigging this for very, very long. 
So the 2020 election uh, afterwards, um, I got a phone call from my whistleblowing attorney and he said, um, Hey, can you look into something for me? And, and uh, he asked me to look at uh, the help America vote act, uh, which referenced the um, voting system standards that had been put out by the, um, the federal election commission. And so I did, and the document looked very similar to a lot of other, uh, you know, documents that I've read um, that I've had become familiar with, with uh, relation to government um, certification of, uh, uh, you know, electronic systems. And uh, so I ended up uh, going through that. I wrote a, a paper on it, submitted it to him, and then apparently it got the attention of the White House. And so next thing I know, I was being uh, called and asked to come down to Steve Bannon's office to meet with uh, uh, Peter Navarro's uh, uh, team. And I was put on a election integrity team. Uh, I took off because I knew uh, that it was a highly charged political atmosphere. So I decided to take a leave of absence from my job without pay. I took two months off and I worked on election integrity for about 18 hours a day. I mean, it was the hardest, some of the hardest work I've ever done and uh, was very extremely busy. Uh, there were a handful of us that, you know, had really solid knowledge of, of uh, cyber law and uh, a lot of the uh, federal, um, you know, acts uh, that had been passed related to cybersecurity and FISMA and, um, you know, election security. And so, uh, so we did a lot of advising of various lawyers. Uh, eventually, we ended up helping out uh, with the Thomas More Society and doing a lot of work for them. Uh, it was through them that I did. Uh, I was an expert witness in multiple lawsuits, including the one that was brought before the Supreme Court. And, um, you know, there's something about all that that I got to mention. You know, when you go on to the mainstream media and you look up anything related to um, the election steal, uh, you will hear over and over again, the mainstream media use the same phrase. They will say the election steal, which has been proven to be a hoax. That is a lie. The fact is, out of 57 cases that were brought after 2020, uh, election steal. 57 cases, not a single court allowed for an evidentiary hearing. Every single one of them said, no, we're not going to allow for the evidence to be reviewed. So they didn't prove anything. They haven't proved anything to be false. But what I can tell you that was uh, that I saw uh, with my own eyes was uh, that case that was involving the truck driver up in, um, uh, mm -hmm. up in Pennsylvania where 100,000 ballots were, you know, allegedly moved into Pennsylvania from um, Bethpage, uh, New York, from a parcel sorting center uh, part of, as part of the U.S. Uh, post office. So I saw the witness testimony. Uh, it was a you know, written witness testimony from the woman who loaded the ballots, over 100,000 ballots, onto a truck. Uh, who worked in the parcel sorting center, uh, she had gone to her boss and said, why are we doing this? Because we're not supposed to be sorting. You know, we don't have the machines to sort uh, through mail here. We only do parcels. And uh, and what that means is that all of that mail, which was uh, pre-postage, you know, metered, uh, did not get paid for. So it was about eight, $8 million worth of theft from the U.S. post office, which really means from us, from the American taxpayer. But, uh, these uh, ballots were counterfeited. Uh, they were printed at a print shop. They were moved in by an employee there. And then they were loaded on the truck by this other woman who had protested against it, but was eventually told to shut up and just load the ballots onto the truck. 
And I, that's what her witness statement stated. Now, the FBI was brought into it. John Durham Jr. was brought into it. They created a task force. Um, I was in the room on a conference call, listening in on this, this conference call that Bill Barr was uh, being briefed of all this and was directing you know this task force to be put together. And uh, it involved also the um, the, uh, the the postmaster general for New York and his uh, investigative team, and a handful of FBI agents. And then all of a sudden, uh, the whole thing gets shut down by Bill Barr. And then Bill Barr goes on television uh, before the uh, Congress and says, "Oh, I've seen no evidence of widespread uh, election fraud. Bull crap. That was a lie. He flat out perjured himself." Uh, to Congress, and uh, you know he should be put in jail for it. And the fact is, is there was widespread. Now think about that: a hundred thousand ballots disappearing into, uh, you know, into Pennsylvania. Um, you know, I think the Democrats won by, I don't know, what was it a couple thousand or something like that? And so, you know, they shut down the election. They shut down the counting. They told all of the uh, all of the the uh, poll watchers to go home. And then they continued counting and they brought in, uh, you know, bag loads of, uh, you know, illegal ballots that were counterfeit ballots and they counted those. I mean, that's the bottom line. Uh, now, as far as like the electronic stuff, there was all kinds of electronic stuff that was going on too. A um, perfect example is what happened just in this last election that we saw happened in Maricopa County. You know, they intentionally made these uh, machines, uh, you know, the, they, they made the ballots uh, that were being used in certain Republican areas, uh, the wrong size intentionally so that they would not get fed through the machine. Uh, they caused all kinds of problems and havoc so that they could uh, dissuade uh, conservatives from showing up at the polls, uh, making it so that they couldn't get through the lines. Uh, this kind of, you know, this kind of garbage going on in our elections, uh, it's something that I warned against in um, multiple interviews that I did back at, at that time that if we didn't have a true accounting of the election of 2020, uh, it would it would cause people to lose faith in their elections. And if people lose faith in their elections, uh, then then there's really there's not a whole lot of other alternatives, uh, you know, that uh, can be had, and none of them are good. And so it's something that um, I do believe we still have a problem in America. Now I looked at things in terms of like my own state, West Virginia, and I do believe that and I have confidence in our our voting system here in West Virginia. Uh, that doesn't mean I have confidence in places like Michigan or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or Georgia or Arizona. Those areas, as far as I'm concerned, are still messed up. Nobody has ever paid a price for the violations of law you know, that they uh, uh, committed. You had multiple cases of where evidence um, you know, pertinent to voting in an election was destroyed prematurely under the, um, under the, the Civil Rights Act of 1968. It is illegal to destroy any, uh, any, basically any evidence of uh, whether it's the log file, whether it is uh, paper copies, digital, any kind of evidence pertinent to voting in an election. It is illegal to destroy it for up to two years, and that's so that a full audit can be done. But yet, that is not what happened. Especially in Georgia, they had a ton of of uh, evidence that was destroyed. In fact, the FBI assisted with it. And so uh, I think that that is something that uh, there needs to be, you know, people held accountable. But quite frankly, the laws uh, that they wrote back in 1968, uh, they're not strong enough. I think it's a thousand dollar fine for 
you know, for destroying evidence pertinent to an election. And it's, uh, uh, and you have to prove that it was done intentionally. And then on top of that, um, uh, you know, there's only a, a, you know, it's a a hundred, it's, it's a thousand dollar fine or up to a year in prison. That's not enough. Quite honestly, uh, I don't think that the, I think there should be a higher, um, uh, much higher fine, a much higher uh, prison sentence. And I also think that, uh, uh, that there needs to be, I, I don't think that, it should be a matter of, of having to prove that it was done intentionally. If they destroy evidence uh, and it was done due to negligence, uh, I think that should be enough to put somebody in prison over because this is our election we're talking about. It is the most sacred freedom that we have in this country, our, our right to vote. And if it's being toyed with and, uh, and it's being manipulated, then how do we know that the government we have was even one that was selected by the people? So that's my opinion. Um, but I did eventually um, go on to uh, serve uh, with um, uh, with Judge Gableman up in Wisconsin. I did some work with him as well on election integrity, and um, and then I've gone and and have done some work with election integrity uh, involving the company uh, Conic. Uh, this is the the company that was uh, developing software uh, for election management. Uh, my company, Kane and Associates, was named recently in a lawsuit um, uh, against uh, L.A. County District Attorney's Bureau of Investigation. Uh, we were on scene uh, providing uh, the cyber forensic capture, and I can't get too much into the details because there's ongoing litigation regarding it. But um, what I will say is that um, I've continued to work on these issues of election integrity and uh and making sure that that is a it's an important issue and to me without it if we can't solve it then um then we're done for as a country because uh again the people will lose faith in their government and uh eventually it will lead to a breakdown of civil society uh nate i think we've already reached the point where most people in this country do not trust our government and um, i you know i i see that as a as a real problem, and I also see it as uh, maybe the tipping point, because maybe we can, if we get people energized and active in the process. Uh, now, my I, I had Cynthia McKinney uh, on this program. Cynthia was congresswoman from uh, Georgia for, I think, six terms, and uh, Cynthia is completely on board with the idea that the elections were stolen. She's a pro-Trumper of all things because she's a liberal Democrat, but she's mm. a true patriot too. She's a, a, a actually a brilliant woman. Um, her comments is that the only way we're ever going to have fair elections is get back to paper ballots and counted at the precinct level and only people with valid IDs can vote and do That's it right. uh, the way we did it for uh, 200 years or close to 200 years before we got involved with this stupid, uh, you know, the computer programming stuff. It's too yeah. scary to see what the results are. Now, you were just on with John B. You, you've, I'm sure you've had some pretty good uh, conversations with Mary Fanning. Uh, she worked with Mike Lindell, and they put together the absolute proof a uh, series of uh, videos about the stolen elections and how uh, Kraken, the group, the military uh, computer intelligence group, 
uh, uncovered all these uh, vote flipping operations in China, Serbia, Italy, Germany, Spain. Uh, do you have any knowledge about that? And uh, even if maybe not specifically, can you talk about uh, how how this process is easy to be manipulated if someone wants to? So what I can say is that um, in regards to those particular tools and those particular um, uh, what they found in regards to hammer scorecard and and uh, Kraken and that sort of thing, I don't have any direct knowledge of that. My most of the work that I did in 2020 was related primarily to uh, the certification and accreditation of the machines, which was all of them. You know, pretty much uh, did not meet the standards of the uh, uh, the Federal Election uh, Commission, um, but or the Election Assistance uh, Commission as they call it now, but um. But where I do have some knowledge about um, manipulation is one of the most important pieces to protect is the voter registration. And uh, the voter registration is the piece that is connected to the Internet. And uh, in fact, when you go to CISA's own webpage, they have a um, uh, that is the um, uh, cybersecurity uh, information, uh, was it cybersecurity, uh, sorry, cybersecurity infrastructure security agency. It's a weird name, but they're the ones that basically have, uh, oversight over the security of elections. And they have a tool uh, that you can download that will, uh, basically do a risk assessment on your election system. And, um, the very first question that it asks you is it asks you if your voter registration system is statewide. And if it is, it immediately drops you down into a uh, uh, into a lower level of security. Meaning, if you have a statewide voter registration, it makes you much more vulnerable uh, because that means that somebody just needs to gain access to it uh, from the internet, and they can have you know totally uh, attack your your electronic voting system. So, an example in Pennsylvania. Um, they have a one system that all of the voter, you know, red, vote registered voters are in. And so if you can gain access to that system, you can, you know, front load it full of uh, fake voters. Uh, you can uh, do things like, um, you know, remove people who are uh, registered voters so that, you know, they have to, when they show up to election, they end up having to vote with a provisional ballot, which may or may not get counted. There's a lot of things that you can do. Uh, with the voter registration system and the company that i mentioned um, their system uh, that they use which multiple counties that are in question uh, were using poll chief uh, they they absolutely had access to the voter registration table and uh, in fact um, uh, through allegheny county in pennsylvania it was right on their website you could go to it and it says uh, powered by poll chief but it would go and it would validate using a an API, which is basically like a backdoor uh, connection into their voter registration, it would utilize that in order to validate that that person was uh, legitimately, um, you know, uh, uh, authorized to be a poll worker because they lived in that, you know, that they were registered in that district. So the problem with that is, is that um, we found out that this company was storing uh, uh, poll workers data in China. And uh, oh. I, have, I have the evidence of it. And so there's no doubt in my mind, um, you know, they, so they went after, of course, uh, they sued, um, you know, for defamation, right. They sued, uh, uh, I think true the vote and, uh, Craig Phillips 
And, um, and I actually went down and offered to provide exculpatory evidence, but the federal judge that was uh, handling their case was so corrupt that he wouldn't allow for it. And so uh, basically, uh, you know, they ended up going to jail for like a week until another court uh, overturned it and they were released. But the fact is, is that um, absolutely uh, you have foreign countries that are involved in our election systems and, uh, you know, and they've they've found all kinds of interesting ways uh, in addition to, you know, not just the voter registration, but also uh, I have no doubt that um, you've got people that are working, you know, for uh, some of these communist governments. And, uh, you know, and they are, you know, working in the, um, you know, the polling areas and working in, you know, in these uh, uh, precincts. And so that's the thing that that's the part of it that nobody wants to admit. Nobody wants to. I actually talked to a legislator in Pennsylvania. And I tried to tell him this was an inside job. There had to be people on the inside that assisted with this. And his comment to me was, well, you know, can't we just stick with the story that this was, you know, a foreign hack? And I said, no, I said, look, you may be able to say that for one or two precincts, but I said that this was done uh, by an inside job. This was a, a conspiracy uh, by people who, who brought in these ballots overnight under covered darkness and uh, scanned them illegally. <clears throat> like we saw with that lady, uh, Ruby, uh, down in Georgia. And I said, and the fact is, as I said, that needs to be brought forward. And he said, well, nobody wants to go after a grandma, you know, that's working, you know, uh, as a poll worker. And so he just didn't have the courage. He had no spine to actually go after the people who were involved in this. Uh, you know, I have no problem with going after them and cutting a deal to find out who the bigger fish is. But at the end of the day, they should have brought charges against every single one of these people who violated their oath, who worked in the polling areas that brought in these uh, these ballots uh, under cover of darkness and then uh, ran them through machines. We also seen other evidence, too, of people that were making uh, they were running ballots on on other older machines and then taking the thumb drives and inserting those into the batches that were being added up in the counting. And so there's a lot of different ways that they did it. It was not a one size fits all thing. They, they cheated in so many different ways that it makes it really hard, uh, you know, to make a case because you've got multiple uh, methods that were used. Well, I, I uh, what you're saying though is, um, believe me, it, it it's an, uh, a knowledgeable response from somebody who really understands the system. Um, th there was a book called Vote Scam. It was written in, I believe, '92 or '93 by the gentleman who uh, actually designed the original vote uh, software that was being debated in Congress to be used nationwide. And uh, he testified before the U.S. Senate and said, if you ever uh, uh, adopt computerized voting, you'll never have another honest election because computers are so easy to hack and it's so easy to change things. Uh, and, well, and nobody would ever know it. Yeah. And I, you know, I, in, uh, we just having problems. What you're talking about, Madison County, it's almost impossible for the Republicans' central committee in Madison County, Montana, to get an accurate uh, list of registered voters. When we've tried to do that, the voter uh, rolls are so outdated 
And uh, they're so full of people that have moved out or moved in. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, they're just ridiculous. Yet the foreigners have better access to our polling records than we do. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And in fact, that's the other problem, too, is the lack of transparency. You know, in the software world, um, there's something called open source software. And uh, one of the advantages of open source software is you got a massive number of people that are coders that can go through it and they can find out, you know, if there's vulnerabilities so that those things can be patched. But election um, election equipment software is what they call black box software, meaning nobody gets to look at the code, nobody gets to see what's going on. And the problem with that is that first of all, it's illegal under our um, acquisition law uh, for us to be spending federal dollars on anything, uh, especially stuff that's so important as a, a national critical infrastructure, such as our election systems, uh, that should not be black box. At a minimum, uh, there should be uh, federal, uh, you know, folks who who are are reviewing the code and making sure that the code is not corrupt, uh, because they do fractionalized, uh, you know, uh, counting in terms of the vote, and so it's not a one to one vote. And so, if that machine is not uh, working properly. There's all kinds of testing that's supposed to be done. They do the testing upon delivery, but they don't do the testing again uh, when they do an update to code. So things can be pushed down and things can be changed. Uh, they have patches that they install and they're supposed to rerun uh, the, when they install a patch, they're supposed to rerun the test, uh, the what they call the, um, uh, it is the testing that basically ensures that the, uh, the error rate, it's the error rate testing. They're supposed to make sure that that error rate has not changed. And yet um, they don't do their, the testing that they're required to do under the law. And yet, so that's why those machines should never even been used because any modification to when that machine was certified, it means it's no longer certified. And so that was really kind of the argument that I was you know, making in a lot of the cases that uh, I spoke on. Um, is You don't have any clue uh, so a, here's a good example. So it's called what they call void ab initio. So a good example would be if, if uh, someone were to get arrested for drunk driving and they were to show up in court and, um, and the arresting officer shows up in court, he has to bring with him a document, something that shows that the breathalyzer uh, was certified and uh, in, in calibrated within you know, a certain period of time because over time things get out of calibration. And, uh, and if he can't show that, then that means the whole case is thrown out because it is void from the beginning, which is what void ab initio means. Well, the same holds true for election machines uh, that were certified at one point, but they've made modifications to the software. They've added software. They've uh, you know upgraded it. They've added patches. How do you know that it's even the same software anymore? And the fact is, in many cases, we found that it wasn't. Uh, that you had different software on there and it should have been recertified and it never was. And so you don't even know uh, what that machine is doing. There's no guarantee at all that it's even reading accurately. So these are the kinds of problems that that currently exist. Unfortunately, the courts didn't want to look at that. Uh, and I think it's because, quite honestly, I think a lot of these judges didn't have the spine uh, to stand up and do the right thing and, uh, you know, and allow for a, a true investigation into uh, you know, into these matters, but, um, we have to stop these mail-in ballots. That's one of the biggest things that we got to stop because as long as that is existing, uh, we've got ballot stuffing on steroids. And that was always the old way. Even when we had, uh, you know, paper ballots, that was always the old way that they, 
um, you know, would, uh, you know, would steal elections was through ballot stuffing. Now it's just being done at a massive level through these drop boxes. And then, uh, yeah, I agree. I think we need to get rid of electronic, electronic voting. Uh, I'm not opposed to, to, um, technology. Uh, in fact, I think that it could be done safely, but I think it would absolutely, you know, they would have to just, you know, remove this black box uh, restriction and the code would have to be reviewed. Uh, and I think it should be reviewed by, you know, by uh, professionals that, uh, uh, you know, that represent uh, both parties and to make sure that there's not, you know, any funny business going on in the code. So, you know, there's a lot of things that, uh, that could be done. Uh, to make things secure. But one of the bigger ones and you mentioned earlier is, uh, you know, about making sure that people show up with voter ID. Uh, if they don't have voter ID, there's no reason they should be voting. Everybody in this country uh, has identification. And if they don't, uh, then then go get it. It's not like, uh, you know, it's not like it's hard to do. You know, you're, you're not talking about huge sums of money. And if and if they want to really eliminate any excuse, then then fine. Uh, you know, I, I heard uh, one person say that um, uh, they should make the the new uh, what is it? It's the new passport card. Uh, they should just make that free, and then that way anybody can go and get a passport card made, and uh, and then and it will show their country of origin. Uh, you have to show birth certificates and things like that in order to even get that made. It's pretty strict in how they allow for passports. And then you just, you know, you have to show either a state ID that uh, is approved or you have to show your passport. And I think that would be the appropriate way to do it. Well, you know, they use this crap that um, it, it's unfair to uh, have uh, these ID requirements because uh, it would keep uh, minorities and poor people from voting. And that's just absolute crap. Because well, like you say, you've got to have yeah. a you got to have a valid ID to uh, uh, do anything, to fly, to do anything. You've got to right. have a valid ID. If you're so poor you can't afford an ID, uh, then then you're you're going to be in some some you're going to have some problems because that means that you're not going to be able to cash a welfare check. You know, you got to have ID, and so everybody. I don't care, you know, what anybody says. I I don't believe that for one reason. I don't believe for one bit that uh, that that these people who they are claiming you know uh, poor people or minorities or whatever uh that's that's the the uh, soft bigotry of low expectations look everybody can get an id in this country and uh and so to say that you don't need an id you know that you shouldn't have to have an id because of poor people that that is uh that's propaganda is what that is mm -hmm. it is and and you mentioned the the uh uh mail-in ballots but uh, it's, it's interesting to me, Cloward and Piven, you're familiar with them. Uh, Francis uh, Fox Piven and uh, Richard Cloward uh, were the ones that originally promoted uh, the uh, motor voter thing and the mail-in ballots because they saw it as a way to vir virtually steal the election system. Right. When it was passed into law, I believe it was 1996, by Bill Clinton, uh, standing right behind Bill Clinton was uh, Francis Fox Piven and Richard Cloward because they were, uh, they were mentors. They were uh, uh, heroes of the Clinton administration. You know, you can't make this stuff up. It's no. all about uh, destroying everything 
that worked in America and replacing it with uh, crappy ideas like Cloward and Pivot. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's absolutely. Incredible. Now, <clears throat> let's, you were very, uh, you're very interested in what happened on January 6th, 2021. I am too. I was actually there. I did not go to the, uh, to the Capitol, but I went to uh, support Donald Trump. Uh, we were standing there in the ellipse. If we hadn't been so damned old and had weak bladders, uh, we probably would have been at the Capitol, but uh, we had to find a place to uh, to pee, and it wasn't uh, there wasn't anywhere around there. I don't know why they didn't have porta potties everywhere. Anyway, uh, long story short, I have a very good friend, David Sumrall. He has been working with uh, putting together the film archives for. January 6th, uh, they have very direct evidence of Antifa, FBI, uh, different mm. groups there trying to create the scenario so that they could void the, uh, the due process that was necessary to have Congress review all of the fraud implications of the election. They pulled it off. They got away with it. Talk about that, if you would, please, because I know this is a right in your wheel. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of people in West Virginia, in fact, that were affected by that because we're so close to D.C. And and, uh, you know, there's a few things that happened there that just uh, totally disgust. You know, I'm just disgusted by one of those was that uh, I think you had Bank of America that gave up all of the electronic records of anybody that used their ATM cards or their visa cards in Washington, D.C., they gave that to the FBI without a warrant. I mean, do people understand what we're talking about here? We're talking about warrantless searches, and, uh, you know, but they they did that. Uh, and then you had, of course, uh, there was a federal judge that, uh, I want to say it was a month and a half or two months ago, that put out a, uh, it was a federal circuit court judge, I believe, that stated that there were over 257,000 uh, illegal uses of FISA Section 702, uh, which is a, a warrantless search on people's uh, digital data. I know a lot about it because I was read onto that program when I worked for NSA, and I was told unequivocally that if I ever used it uh, on an American citizen, uh, you were going to jail. And in fact, uh, we had a rule that was so stringent that if you used it and you unmasked somebody and it turned out they were an American, you had to delete the entry because it can, you cannot use that data uh, um, on American citizens. And yet a federal judge said it was done multiple times, multiple times. So uh, it's it's absolutely a travesty of what, what happened. And it was done not only, you know, look, liberals need to understand this is this applies to them too. It wasn't just used on, on January 6th, but it was also used against people who marched uh, you know, in protests um, up in, uh, uh, you know, for the George Floyd uh, protests, there were, uh, they were using it on them too. Uh, this kind of stuff's got to stop. This police state tactics, uh, you know, like I said, people need to go to prison over it. And it's not the people that are currently in jail. It's the people, the, the federal officials that used these tools illegally, which are meant to spy on foreigners. That's the whole point of FISA. It's Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. There's a reason why that word foreign is in there, because we have in this country something called the Constitution. So I don't believe uh, that that uh, FISA 702 should be renewed. I don't care what benefit we get from it. Uh, to me, they cannot uh, be trusted to not abuse it. And, um, and so you have... Uh, 
and, and I think there was an IG that said there's been millions of misuses of it. So we're talking, I think in December, it comes up for renewal. It needs to be outright, um, you know, stopped. So everyone needs to contact their representative and say, if you vote to renew Section 702 of FISA, I will vote against you in the primary. That, that, is, that needs to be the statement made to every member of Congress. The other thing that um, to me is uh, disturbing is, uh, like you said, the FBI, they put people inside uh, agitators. Um, I can't remember the number, but I, I believe it was uh, a very high number of, of um, not just FBI agents, but also informants, confidential informants that they had working in the crowd, uh, agitating and doing things. And those people, of course, are all out walking around free and, uh, you know, never serving any time because they were working. They were doing their job. They were doing what they were hired to do, which was to agitate and get people to start a riot. Uh, anybody involved in that should be arrested, um, you know, and, and, you know, anybody involved in making that decision. And quite frankly, uh, you know, nobody's ever answered the question of, you know, how in the world uh, Ashley Babbitt, who was unarmed, uh, you know, who basically, uh, you know, entered into the, a, the people's house, let's not forget, um, she was unarmed and she was shot dead. And that, you know, and that, uh, that, that officer, that Capitol policeman never held accountable. In fact, uh, you know, probably awarded a citation or something, you know, he was. Um, you've got uh, other people, too, like uh, 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 Boylan, who was uh, murdered on the, you know, down there as well. And so there's a lot of people, you know, that were were injured uh, or killed. Uh, and there are people who are not answering questions. Well, you know, there is something, again, uh, deprivation, deprivation of rights under color of law carries the death penalty. If you deprive somebody of their rights and they lose their life in the commission of it. And that is something that I think needs to be looked at. Um, some of these people who were involved in all of this uh, absolutely were depriving people of their rights. And I've seen the videos where the cops, and look, I, I've got family members that are uh, police officers and, and that are in law enforcement. I've got nothing against cops. In fact, I respect right. uh, law enforcement because you know they're the ones that, that uh, you know, come to our aid and, and protect us when we're you know, in times of trouble and they keep the peace. But the fact is, is that the uh, what happened on on the Capitol that day uh, should never have happened. You had uh, Capitol police that launched uh, flash grenades and uh, CS gas at a crowd that was largely peaceful. You know, there was not a whole lot of things that were going on. And uh, and I've seen the videos. You had guys standing around, basically holding, waving flags. In fact, some of them were waving flags that that had the uh, the blue line in it, and uh, you know, supporting the cops. And then they got fired on you know, with rubber bullets and fired on with uh, gas and, and with uh, flashbangs. And then you saw the crowd all of a sudden change. Uh, they started getting pissed off, rightfully so. And uh, that's when you started seeing people uh, act aggressively towards the, you know, towards the Capitol Police. So uh, it was absolutely, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, they, they agitated the crowd. Uh, they had people working inside the crowd to agitate it. And then the Capitol Police were firing on you know, American citizens, and they wonder why people got pissed off and decided to tear down the gates. And then, of course, at the end, they open the doors and they let the people in. And what you have is largely people, you know, following the rules, walking orderly, you know, in the lines. In fact, we even saw uh, uh, the one guy known as the uh, the Q shaman uh, being escorted, mm -hmm. you know, escorted in. And eventually they had to let him go because of that. Uh, he was escorted into the chambers. So, 
you know, this whole thing is a sham. And it was all done in order to intimidate us as the American people to tell us that we better not ever exercise our First Amendment right to make our grievances known to our government ever again. That's what we're dealing with. We are dealing with a dictator right now in Washington, D.C., named Joe Biden. And uh, and I'm not even sure who's really running the country because the lights are on with him, but nobody's home. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, I think this is more likely uh, Obama's third term. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we say too, Nate. It's Obama's third term. And, you know, it's interesting what you're talking about um, with uh, the the insiders that were part of what was stirring up and agitating a lot of the crowds. Now, we saw it clear down at the, at the ellipse in front of where uh, President uh, Trump actually spoke and said, incidentally, will you peacefully... Right. Uh, go down to the Capitol. But um, anyway, the, the, uh, I've been to a bunch of different Trump rallies, and uh, I've, I've had great opportunities there because I've, I've been very, very close to the president a uh, number of times. I've seen the way they've handled uh, Trump rallies. I never saw a Trump rally as unruly as they've tried to make this whole thing be. And we saw all of us uh, normal, good Americans, the the America First crowd, there to support the president. And there'd be these foul mouth characters uh, screaming out in the yard, we gotta, we gotta take this back, you know, we've gotta do this, we gotta do that. Go to the Capitol and, and uh, we'll, we'll hang a few people and stuff like this stuff that was yeah. totally, <clears throat> totally foreign to any Trump rally I've ever been at in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was obvious that there were people there that were insiders. Now I've got film uh, showing people uh, dressed as Antifa changing into MAGA gear. I've of got course. film of it uh, right there. Uh, there are so many examples of that. And, um, uh, all I can say is that uh, it, it it was obviously staged to do exactly what you said. And yeah, that- none of them, of course, are in jail either. You know, the ones that are in jail, they they put away, uh, you know, was it Tario, right? They gave him like, what, 20 mm-hmm. something years. He wasn't even there. You know, yeah. they give the, the leadership of, uh, you know, the uh, Oath Keepers, you know, they gave these guys uh, ridiculous sentences because what they've done is they've t- basically taken a, a a regular charge, you know, of trespassing. And now they've, they've added enhancements on it, uh, you know, for, uh, the, uh, what was it interrupting an official proceeding or whatever. And yet what happened to the Congressman the other day, the Democrat Congressman that pulled the fire alarm, is he going right. to get charged with interrupting an official proceeding? No. So it's a double standard. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the bottom line is, is that we don't have justice. And so until there is an, a, an accounting and a reckoning, for what has happened in this country. These people need to be charged and put in prison, but the FBI is never going to investigate themselves. And the DOJ is never going to indict themselves. This is why we need an Article One tribunal. And they need to be brought before it. They need to be charged. And uh, eventually, uh, you know, once found guilty, they need to be sentenced to prison. Mm-hmm. That is the only way that we're going to stop this without bloodshed. I hate to say it, but that's the truth. Uh, you know, and to vote on things the way that they're voting. 
I think it explains a lot as to why we see people go down there who claim to be conservatives. And then all of a sudden they start buying or they start, uh, uh, you know, uh, voting in ways that are, are completely um, against how they're, you know, how they ran their platform. So, yeah, we've seen it in our, uh, in our state, you talk about West Virginia because that's, that's where you're at. That's where you're mm-hmm. running. Same things happen in Montana. It's interesting because you mentioned Rockefeller, um, Montana was very similar to that. Montana was a solidly blue state for almost a hundred years mm-hmm. because uh, the unions were so strong in Montana. It was part of the mining thing. It was part Butte uh, was a, uh, the center of um, mining in the state of Montana, but it was also where the first Communist Party was formed was in Butte, Montana. That's right. You know, there's, there's, and West Virginia's got a very similar type of history. Um, what we're looking at now is the fundamental transformation of the United States of America. Uh, Barack Obama talked about it. He was yep. talking about converting us from a constitutional republic to a, uh, what I would refer to as an unconstitutional democracy. And um, you, you said something very important. Uh, he's serving his third term. There's a reason that he stayed in D.C. and has That's a house right. uh, a, a block away, from, or not a block, a mile away from the White House. And it's because he's serving his third term, and he's got his hand puppet, uh, sock puppet, uh, O'Biden, and I do refer to him as O'Biden, uh, there because he he makes a perfect shill. Uh, he's somebody that has very low cognitive ability, and uh, Obama can pretty much manipulate him. Without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this is uh, fascinating. I love talking to you, Nate. Um, talk about your, uh, your ideas about ways that uh, Washington, D.C., the swamp can be uh, pumped and cleaned and how people like yourself that are running for the right reasons can do that. So let me preface this, what I'm about to say with this. Anyone who's claiming that they're going to go to Washington, D.C. and they're going to fix it, uh, if they believe they can do that on their own without the help of God, and I, I mean it, I think we, we need a miracle uh, then they are they are fooling themselves, uh, you know, at best or lying at worst. Um, there are things that absolutely need to be done, uh, but I am going, you know, I'm running for Congress, and that means I'll be one out of 435 votes. But I do believe in miracles. I do believe in the power of God to be able to change and move the hearts and minds of the men and women that run our country. And I think that uh, the likelihood is that we'll take back both the, you know, we'll have, we'll gain seats in the house. And I think we'll take back the Senate. And, uh, and my hope is uh, that we can get some things accomplished. Some of those things I think that we need are greater transparency. Uh, I think we need to, um, you know, we need to take care of this issue of, you know, these, these lobbyists. Uh, My personal opinion is that anybody that has been a lobbyist uh, should not be able to run for office. And anybody, you know, not at least not with the the Congress, because there's appropriations that are done there. I also don't believe that anybody that has been uh, in Congress should be allowed, at least for a period of time. And Trump had touted this as well, 
you know, within his own administration, nobody that left his administration was allowed to go become a lobbyist. And I think they need to do the same thing, um, you know, in Congress. I think that congressmen and women should not be allowed uh, to go and leave. And so that's called the revolving door policy. It's a huge problem. Uh, and that's something that also my my opponent, quite frankly, is is tied up with because uh, he was a lobbyist and, um, you know, and, and he is uh, – and also this was McCarthy's issue too. You know, he was a lobbyist before he got into Congress. And what it does is it just creates this system of crony, uh, you know, cronyism where you've got, uh, you know, people doing favors for one another instead of actually making decisions, you know, for the sake of the people. Um, you know, the other issues that I think that uh, need to happen, uh, while, you know, if we had a system where a lot of these uh, corruption issues were resolved, uh, you know, if there was no, if there was, if, if lobbying was illegal, and I'm talking about professional lobbying, lobbying for money, I'm not talking about individuals that want to exercise their First Amendment right to go, um, you know, make their grievances known, because that's what, you know, that's actually where the term lobby came from, was it was people who were waiting out in the lobby to speak to their representatives. That's where the term lobbyist first was presented. But the professional lobbyist, that's the one I'm talking about. If that were to be made illegal, then I would not, uh, then I would be okay uh, with there being no term limits. But as long as lobbying exists, I think term limits need to be put into place. And I know Congress is not going to vote on it, or at least they're not going to vote for it. And uh, and so that's something that, um, you know, I'm going to term limit myself, uh, you know, unless we are able to stop that and change that. Uh, but as long as it exists, then there's a risk of corruption uh, because people become too entrenched in power and they can just keep their seats because they can continue to get money from special interest groups. Uh, and so they don't even have to even campaign. And we see this all too often with uh, uh, you cannot it's it's almost impossible to get somebody out of office that is, um, you know, that is a, a somebody who's already in that seat. And that's because of the the power of the lobbyists to fund their campaigns. So I think that's something that needs to change. Uh, I think that we've got to, uh, we need an Article I uh, tribunal to deal with the problems related to the justice system. Uh, some of the other things that can happen that I think would be beneficial uh, is there needs to be transparency. You know, you think about it, right? Congress passed this great law called the Freedom of Information Act, which allows for us to FOIA, um, you know, the, the executive branch and the judicial branch and yet they made sure it did not apply to themselves. And so I, I have a problem with that. I think that uh, uh, we need to have transparency across the board, which means that there needs to be some form of FOIA uh, within Congress as well. And uh, you know, one of the ways that, that I intend to do that myself personally is to make sure that every conversation that I have uh, with a, a professional lobbyist is recorded and made public immediately. Uh, the only, you know, uh, the only conversations that I think are are warrant, uh, you know, being uh, maintained privately, you know, would be those that are related to um, uh, those that are related to whistleblowers or, uh, you know, individual uh, constituents that come in that, you know, have an issue that they want to bring up. So, uh, but anyhow, uh, you know, I think those are some good starting points. There's a lot of other things that I think can be done, but I think, uh, you know, I think those are, 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 primarily ones that I think I can push for and then use the position of, you know, uh, of my, my position in Congress to basically virtue signal to the rest of members of Congress to say, Hey, won't you join me in doing this good thing that everybody is going to agree is a good thing. 
Um, but with that, I, I got to wrap it up pretty soon here. I have to, uh, sure. to get back to some other things, but, um, but I want to thank you for having me on and, and I look forward to uh, coming on again and talking more about some of these issues. Well, Nate, I, w I want to get you back uh, sometime when I can get a couple of uh, existing uh, uh, sitting Congress people that I know share your love of the country and share your ideas about how we need to turn this whole ship of state around because it it is important that they also support people like you who are striving and, and running for office. That's always been a big problem, and that is you get good people that are willing to sacrifice, willing to do things, but they're the right people, and they don't have the money and the support that's that true. the corrupt ones get. And and you were talking about, and I, I don't want to hold you up too long, but I want, I want you to talk about your uh, existing run in the state of Wyoming and the, uh, we'll have to call it the establishment candidate who you're running against, because that's a perfect example of why we need to support good solid citizens like yourself. And it doesn't happen unless we're willing to open up our wallets and true. Uh, and go out and pound the streets, go out and put up banners right. and signs and do the things that need to be done. So to correct you, you said Wyoming, but it's West Virginia. Oh, and, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm that, sorry. That's all right. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so in West Virginia, um, I'm running against, uh, I've got, there's actually several of us. Um, uh, there's about uh, six candidates running. Uh, I think I'm, I'm you know, basically in the, the latest polling, I'm in second place, um, but I don't trust the polling at all. Uh, however, um, the guy that I'm really running against in this race that is the, the main contender is uh, Riley Moore. Uh, the biggest problem that I have is that his aunt, is Shelly Moore Capito, and she's got a lot of power. She's a senator uh, here in West Virginia, and uh, and he's got a lot of connections, a lot of money because he was a lobbyist. Uh, he was the vice president of the Podesta Group, uh, the same Podesta Group that John Podesta was Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman. Uh, he is running as a Republican, as a conservative, uh, but he you know he ran around in those circles. And I think it's um, I think it's fair to question that and to be, you know, and, to, and like I said, because of his connections with lobbyists, um, he just got a, a he just got a um, an endorsement from the uh, Americans for Prosperity, uh, which was uh, started by the Koch brothers. And they've raised uh, 70 million dollars to try to uh, tank uh, Donald Trump's um, primary run. And so, you know, th these are the, you know, but yet he, he gets up there and talks about how he's a supporter of Trump and how he's endorsed Trump. So he says one thing, but he does, you know, things that seem to be opposite of what he claims. And, uh, and more important than anything is his connections to the whole world of lobbying. Uh, you know that he's going to go in there and he's going to owe a lot of favors and he's not going to be beholden to the people of West Virginia, but he will be beholden to, uh, you know, to those who, who basically, uh, you know, provided uh, the, the the special interest groups, uh, the PACs, uh, you know, the the big corporate donors. Uh, those are the people he's going to be beholden to, not the people of West Virginia. Uh, I will be the exact opposite of that. Uh, I will be somebody that uh, is beholden to the people of West Virginia and is concerned for their welfare and concerned for, uh, you know, for the things that matter to them and, uh, and will be representing them. Uh, I don't care, uh, you know, about... Uh, 
you know, what these, these power players think, you know, they, the kind of power that they have, as long as we have a free and fair election and I can, uh, I can get out and talk to people all over the second district, which is, is tough because uh, we're a low population state and I have a large amount of, uh, of distance that I got to cover. I got to travel, you know, five hours, for example, to get to, uh, you know, the furthest point of my, of my, um, uh, district, but, uh, the best way that people can help me and support me uh, is to go to my website, uh, Nate Kane for WV.com. That's N A T E C A I N, the number four WV.com. And there is a donor button, uh, donate button up in the upper right hand corner uh, where people can donate to my campaign. And uh, that is something that I absolutely need the help of individuals uh, all over the country, not just in West Virginia. Because uh, again, even though I'm running for West Virginia and to represent the people of West Virginia, the fact is, is having one more constitutional conservative in the Congress uh, means that I'm going to be looking out for your best interests, no matter where you are, if you believe in the Constitution. And so uh, I do need people's help and I need uh, their support financially. I need their prayers. And uh, for those that do live in West Virginia in the second district, I need you guys to show up to the polls on the primary. And I need you guys to also uh, contact our our campaign and and volunteer to go door knocking with me and and uh, you know to put out signs and and uh, you know introduce me to the people that that you know and your your circle of friends and influence. Uh, that's the way that that you you know that's the way you can win in a grassroots way without uh, without having to get all of the money from the lobbyists and all that. It's harder, but without a doubt, it's much harder because I have to actually get out there and work. But uh, but I'm going to do it and I'm going to continue doing it. And I've been doing it. So uh, I have a, a very strong belief that uh, God will get me through this race. And, uh, and I believe I'm going to win. Uh, but even if I don't, I know that uh, no matter what, I've done the right thing. And I've uh, spread that message of hope. And uh, and I know that, uh, you know, getting out there, I've made a lot of really great connections with people all over West Virginia. So, Well, you've made them all over the country. And that's uh, that's an important thing. When is the uh, primary election in West Virginia? May 14th, 2024. And and on that note, right before that is the National Day of Prayer. And I would ask that everyone consider praying and fasting, uh, you know, before that uh, on the National Day of Prayer, that God will will, uh, you know, ensure that the right people get elected to to turn our country around. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, we've got a real chance here. God is ultimately the one that will decide. We know how the story ends, uh, but at the same time, we also know there's going to be a lot of trials and tribulations. in between, Without a doubt. And that's where we're at right now. Um, well, Nate, thank you for being our guest. I mean, this has been a fascinating discussion. Um, I will do everything in my power to try to help you in this campaign, uh, try to get other people that will be interested and involved. Um, we need people in West Virginia that will actually go out and help you with the door-to-door process. That's mm-hmm. the important part of this thing. What you're doing as a candidate is exactly what we used to do in this country. That's right. And your your approach is to go out and talk with every single voter in the state of West Virginia. Yeah. And that's your approach, and I think that's the right one. Now, um, money is a big deal. It's all part of the part of the story. But as you're right, uh, more importantly, I think is is prayer and understanding 
that uh, what you're doing here is uh, for the whole country. It is. Not just for West Virginia, it's for the whole country. It's what we all uh, aspire to do. Uh, Nate, you've been a, a wonderful guest as always. Thank you for uh, having been here. And uh, I will try to connect you with some of the Congress people that I know who are very like-minded. And incidentally, we started this with a discussion about the uh, green decoys. In, in Montana, we have uh, what we call green decoys. They're actually the exact opposite of what they say they are. Uh, it's like a sportsman for, uh, Montana sportsman for shooting and, uh, and hunting or some such name. And in fact, all they are is an environmental group that's trying mm -hmm. to get wolves relisted and that sort of thing. I have to tell you, I've known uh, Americans for Prosperity for quite a long time. I have a very good friend who was one of the original organizers of Americans for Prosperity. And I hate to say it, you're right, since the Koch brothers uh, became such big donors, uh, yeah. they're not the same organization. Mm -hmm. They've turned into a, a green decoy. It's important for people to understand that because uh, they're they're going to do everything in their power to try to sink your campaign. That's yeah. why we shouldn't listen. Just because they say, I'm a conservative group, you shouldn't uh, listen to that. You should mm -hmm. go to the, uh, the sources of the funding. And believe me, the Koch brothers, uh, boy, oh, they're, they're very, very woke. Very woke. Exactly right. Very woke. And we've got similar things going on in Montana. Okay, Nate, I'm going to let you uh, get off, but uh, thank you again for being our guest. God bless you, and thank you for having me on. You bet. Thank you. All right. Uh, well, folks, you need to understand that around this country, we've got a whole bunch of really solid, good people who are running for elective office, and they always have the same problem. No matter what their message is, the power elite, the people who actually control the whole political system in our country right now, the same ones who selected, not elected, selected uh, the Biden administration, or as we like to refer to them, the old Biden administration, <clears throat> they have such tight control of our system that we are now in a, a situation where we no longer control our government. We have to put an end to that because uh, we are losing our country. We're losing our way of life. We are losing all of our freedoms and we are losing the ability to uh, have our children and our grandchildren live in a system of freedom. And, uh, you know, this is something that's kind of off the subject, but not really. Uh, we are also losing the best and the brightest of the future of this country because these same people who are doing all this manipulation of the political process are also the ones who are controlling uh, much of the dialogue on things like vaccines and, uh, you know, international uh, finance, you name it, they're in control of it. 
and they are planning to reduce uh, the U.S. population and world population massively. And frankly, they don't care if there's uh, blood on the streets. They don't care because uh, ultimately they want to get rid of as many people as they can. And they're going to try to do it any way they can. Um, we've got we've to stand up and hold up what we know is right in this country. And that is truthfully the ability to uh, control our election process. Now, what can we do as citizens, not just to put, uh, support uh, uh, candidates for office, but what can we do to shape the future of the election process and the ability to have open and free and fair elections. It's, uh, it, it gets back down to understanding that the whole system right now is rigged. And the only way we're going to get that system back is to insist, not ask, not request, but insist through your local government, through your state government, through your federal government, insist on going back to hand-counted paper ballots, hand-counted at the precinct level with uh, witness, uh, with uh, election judges witnessing that process. We can do it. It's easy. It's not that tough to go back to paper ballots and open and fair elections. We can do it because the fact is we did it uh, for over, well, close to 200 years before the computer voting had even uh, the slightest foothold in the system. Up until the late 90s, we had a uh, pretty much a hand uh, ballot uh, counted at the precinct level. We need to get back to that because as long as there's computers, uh, there's gonna be a problem with the, the election process. And as Nate said earlier, uh, this is only one part of a totally debauched system. We've got the mail-in ballots, we've got all the stuff that they know how to play the game, they know how to rig it, they, and they push the crap out of it. Um, we had it in Madison County, and I, uh, a lot of my viewers know that um, I was a county commissioner for uh, four years. And part of the process that we did as county commissioners was to go to uh, the county clerk's office and inspect and verify uh, the election process through the machines they were using. Well, we had computers then, we still do. And, uh, you know, what part of the verification you'd go in and you'd, uh, the commissioners would fill out a number of ballots and then put them in the machines and then verify that they were counted correctly. And I, you know, it wasn't a huge number of ballots, let's just say uh, a dozen ballots that we would verify with. But the problem is, and I had this uh, brought up to me by one of the people who were uh, verifying the uh, rigged uh, machine 
uh, elections that happened in Georgia, Arizona, and Pennsylvania. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, what they proved is that, uh, in fact, I had a young man who was a computer programming uh, computer programmer show me this on one of my programs where they can actually go in and just uh, and they can do it remotely. They can do it with uh, uh, their computer from a remote location. They can do it uh, with their cell phone, even if they're set up that way. But from a remote location, they can program and change that computer where after a certain time on a certain date, in other words, let's say starting at 3 a.m., on the day of the election, that from that point on, uh, they can uh, they can shift votes from one candidate to another. They can literally flip every third or fourth vote from candidate A to candidate B, and it can be done very easily. Uh, this guy showed me how you could do it in uh, like three minutes. And if it was that simple to do that, uh, think of with all the the uh, fraudsters that are out there and the number of hackers and people from places like communist China uh, that uh, have access to the uh, the whole network, how easy it is for them to rig an election. And, you know, they went on and on and on about uh, 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 the... Russians uh, rigging the election in 2008 to let Donald Trump win. Well, when in fact they went into that, they found absolutely no evidence of that. They found that the people who were paying for the, um, the, the, the whole propaganda campaign that was surrounding that were the Clinton, uh, the, the Hillary Clinton group and the DNC, they were paying for all that. And uh, I, you know, it's, it's ridiculous, but we've had the foxes guarding the hen house for far too long. And the only way we're gonna change that is if we get people that are willing to stand up and say no more, not on my watch. And we need people who are willing to get behind candidates like Nate Kane and uh, send him some money to for his campaign. If you live in West Virginia, you can go out and hang signs and banners and posters and go door to door talking with your fellow citizens about how important it is to vote for a candidate like Nate Kane. We've got the same situation in Montana. We've got a couple of really great candidates and then we have a whole bunch of these uh, rhino masqueraders in the Republican Party. And we have uh, the whole Democrat Party, which we might as well uh, call at this point the American Communist Party. And, and then we've got these weak-kneed establishment Republicans that all they want to do is get along and go along, and they will agree to anything to avoid a fight. And these are not the people we need running our country. These are not the people we need representing us in Congress and in the U.S. Senate. And certainly 
all elections are local. We need to support good, strong local candidates who understand and are willing to stand up and protect their oath of office to protect and defend against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and understanding that a huge percentage of our uh, enemies right now are the domestic ones. And uh, believe me, we've got a problem. Uh, Houston, we've got a problem. And Houston, we've got to fix it ourselves. There's no one that we can look forward to saving us, but saving ourselves. Uh, we've got something we've got to, uh, got to do now. And ladies and gentlemen, please support good local candidates, good state candidates, and good national candidates and do it with your money and do it with your feet. You can help in so many ways. If you don't have the money, you can go door to door. You can do something. And frankly, if you don't do it now, we're not going to have another chance. Uh, we are running out of chances to save this great republic. And if we're not willing to do that, then we might as well admit we're ready to sell our posterity into slavery. And that's exactly where we're heading. Uh, looks like a uh, digga digga, Dan. Uh, looks like you're uh, on board here. Uh, let's, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to uh, hear what you've got on tap. We've got all this stuff going on in uh, Israel right now. There's uh, quite a an interesting dialogue going on with that because uh, there's an awful lot of people that realize maybe that uh, not everything is as it appears. And frankly, when we hear a lot of things happening that we don't know about, we better get uh, wake up and start learning about them because we're in a world run by propagandists right now. And the only way we're going to save this country is if we quit listening to the propaganda and start listening to the truth tellers. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea. From Detroit down to Houston, New York to L.A., where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say.
Cause there ain't no doubt 